You're listening to The Outward Hire, a podcast for all things hiring. My name is Javier Blaza, a software engineer at Touch of Modern by day and by night, founder of Marty, a virtual assistance platform. I sit down with job seekers and hiring managers to talk about their hiring process, main takeaways from their experience, and what advice they can give to listeners like you. Today on the show, we have Daniel Wallen, a freelance internet architect in the web development and consulting space. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, Tavi, thanks for having me. Cool. So I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do now. Sure thing. So right now, I'm running a pet adoption website for my home community. It's not monetized or anything, but it'll serve as a really good case study later because the same strategies and tactics I use for that can easily be applied to monetized projects both for myself and clients that I work with in the future. So the website, it's called Try Pets for obvious reasons, not try as in the verb try, but T-R-I, because I live in the tri-cities of Tennessee and the website exists to showcase adoptable pets that live in the Tri-Cities. So Tri-Pets makes sense. Uh, so I'd love to do the same thing for other animal shelters in the future, but they tend to not have budgets. So that's a big, we'll see about that. But anyway, I grew the website from zero visitors to 8,000 and three bumps. And bear in mind, I only work on this website for two or three hours a week. It's not at all a full-time thing because I've got to apply for jobs and outreach with clients and stuff like that. But uh, I achieved those numbers with community outreach and Facebook groups. There's a lot of groups related to pets that are lost or need a home. Uh, And if you want to see what I'm talking about, the website's trypets.org. A similar outreach strategy is a key component of a premium offer I just launched very, very recently. And it's not just a web design service. Because I feel like everybody has a web design service and I feel like having a website's not really good enough anymore. So my service combines web design, content creation, and digital cell systems in one big extensive service. And I gave myself the title of Internet Architect, which feels appropriate since my mission is to build digital real estate that attracts and converts clients at scale while you're asleep. And the difference between an internet architect and the web designer just boils down to web designers build the website and call it a day. An internet architect helps the service professionals and small businesses actually promote the website after the fact so they can find clients or customers at a fast pace, assuming they've got a good offer and stuff. If they don't have an offer, then I'm not a miracle worker. I can't help. But that's the single service that I offer as a one-man agency. But I also joined a full-scale agency that provides a big variety of services. They're not just web design. They actually do print media like billboards and other various stuff like maybe, you know, a brochure that describes a service and good stuff like that. So the goal, both with that business and the service I'm offering solo, is to help businesses hurt by COVID-19 rebuild and restore because the economy has been so rough. And with all the lockdowns and stuff, a strong online presence has never, ever, ever been more important. And I feel like we're perfectly positioned to solve that problem by helping clients write their own comeback story. That's awesome. I think that the unique selling proposition that you have of the internet architect versus the web designer could really, really bring some value to the clients that you find or the clients that you that hop onto your website. I wonder if you could rewind a little bit and uh, could you tell me about the technical background um, of where you got like your skills as a web designer or your skills as a marketer? Sure. I'll start with web design. I should say web design and development. Uh, but every now and then I take a gap year and the goal is to learn a new skill that complements my existing skill set nicely. And ideally, the new skill should justify a pretty big rate increase. Uh, for example, I learned writing. Or I went to business school first. I started writing when I was a kid, but I didn't write professionally until I was about 21, 22 years old. So I got my business degree. Then I took the time to get 
in the group of writing professionally and learning some things about copywriting and human psychology because that that's what causes people to interact and engage with content online. And then much further down the road, I decided to learn web design and development because the thing that slowed me down the most was not being able to build my own websites, at least not attractive ones that convert as effectively as I'd like them to. Like I could build a WordPress blog and just use a template and add words to it, but it's not ideal because it's not flexible enough, I don't think. You're just kind of stuck with the template unless you are very strong in web design and development. So I learned web design and development. Uh, And after this realization dawned on me that I wanted to take the time to learn this skill, I very soon saw an ad on my Facebook feed and it advertised a code bootcamp called called Lambda School. And their sales pitch was really, really, really effective because you, you don't pay a tuition. There's no upfront cost whatsoever. Uh, unless your income increases to a minimum of fifty thousand dollars a year, then you know they don't get a they don't get a payoff they don't get a payoff they don't get a return on investment they invest in you, and then if their investment pays off they get paid for it later. So anyway, fifty thousand a year, I've made that much money in the past, but not as consistently or as predictably as I would prefer to. So adding responsive web design and full-stack web development to the mix is a big level up. If my life was an RPG, my character's experience points would have tripled or quadrupled. So I feel like these skills were hard-earned, and I also feel like they're going to result in a big impact on my overall income potential and uh, my ability to connect with clients that would benefit from those services. Awesome. So you actually went to Lambda School after you graduated from business school, can you tell me about how um, the application process was like and what uh, what things you learned uh, in Lambda School that transitioned into what you do now? Sure. The application process wasn't really that hard. I feel like they've probably made it harder now as they've scaled and stuff. Uh, but what I joined, uh, all you had to do was fill out a simple application, uh, tell them why you feel like you were a good fit for the program. And then they hop on a phone call with you and do an interview. And they, it, it was kind of like any job interview, really, except for the job interview was for a school. And they just ask, you know, why, why should we invest in you? How are you going to use these skills in the future? Uh, do you have these characteristics and traits that are required to be successful in the program. So all of that went well. And then they send a simple JavaScript assessment. Uh, You have to actually look at some study materials before you even join the program. And you have to take a code challenge to confirm that you learned enough about the concepts in short enough of a time frame to be able to do Lambda School successfully. So it's a great program but I don't feel like it's for everybody. If someone has zero computer experience whatsoever, let's just say, for example, my mom and dad, they don't have a smartphone. Uh, My mom can send emails and my mom can Google stuff, but that's about all she knows about computers. My dad, he has no smartphone, no computer whatsoever. He's never even used the internet. So somebody like that is probably not going to be successful in Lambda School. So they just need to make sure that you have the necessary background and experience to do the program. And then the actual program itself, it walks you through HTML, CSS, and JavaScript at first. And uh, that part wasn't too bad. The way they do it is you have a lecture every morning. And then after the lecture, or let, let me rewind, during the lecture, you do a guided project, right? Where you actually have to make a website or make a little kind of program or algorithm or an app that performs the tasks uh, that they're discussing with you in the lecture. So after you do it as a group, you get a lunch break and then you actually have to apply the same principles on a different project all by yourself. So I feel like the way they do it, you you go to lecture, you follow along, 
then you do the project on your own. The way that they're constantly, constantly, constantly drilling the same concepts in your head makes it easier to process all of it and be able to actually apply it in your own project later. Uh, and then you also get into the biggest JavaScript framework, React. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that much because most of the projects I do, all I usually need is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Uh, and you also learn the backend side of web development, which is basically building a database. Uh, I'll give you an obvious example of that is one of the projects, one of the group projects I did. I should also mention you have a group project every bump. So you can work on a cross-functional team with other developers and get experience working on a team because that's what you would actually do in real life as a developer. So I feel like that's very important too. But one of my projects where I was the back end, we made a park directory. Uh, and it was meant to connect local, to connect nature lovers with local parks in their community. And they could search by city or they could search by name, or they could check off some filters like, I want a playground, I want dog park, I want hiking trails. And then they could sort uh, the parks in the app based on those specifications. And I made the back end that uh, gave them the ability to actually do that and find the park that was the best fit for what they wanted. Is this group project related to what they call Lambda Labs? This one was actually Build Week. This one was Build Week, uh, but there are two separate entities as far as the group projects go. The Build Week, kind of obvious. You have a week to build a app or website versus Lambda Labs, which is a longer project where you've got a couple months to build an app or website. And in Lambda Labs, it's uh, it's more more in line with what the real world work real world work experience would be because you have a project manager, you have a technical manager, you have an engineering manager, and you have to actually make all the correct planning documents. I believe we use Trello, Trello for that. We use Trello and we use Notion to actually, you know. Because in the real world, in the real world, you're not just going to build an app based on something that just appeared in your head and start building it right away. You're actually going to do market research. You're actually going to look into what technical tools and assets or which programming languages make the most sense for what you're trying to build and all that good stuff. So there was like a week or two of planning before any code was written. And that's the difference between labs and build week. Build week, you just start immediately and labs. There's a big planning process. There's an approval process where every week you check in with the management and they have to look and see that you did what you're supposed to do and see that your uh, app accomplishes what it was meant to do in the first place. So I feel like that was actually the most valuable part because anybody can sit down and write some code, but not everybody can function on a team professionally. I see, yeah. I I think that the Lambda Labs program is a really really smooth uh, way to introduce people into um, real world work experience. I guess at my work or at my day job, um, we really emphasize things like planning and speaking to stakeholders within certain departments to see what they need, and then translate that into documents. And then once those are translated into documents or like requirements documents, then it's actually uh, scheduled into like sprints. And once it's scheduled into sprint, then you actually work on the code. So yeah, there's a like there's a two three week planning process that usually goes on before anything is even written. So I'm kind of glad to see that uh, schools like this are trying to implement like a process that looks similar to this. Um, I was yeah. So, oh, so yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I want to get in a thought real quick. You, you said stakeholders, and that jogged my memory. Our stakeholder, actually, for Lambda Labs, so we built a healthy habit app called Refresh, and the whole reason that existed is there was a Lambda school 
program called Refresh that was just built to help everybody prevent burnout because they took surveys and found that a lot of people just weren't sleeping as much as they needed to at night. They weren't they weren't staying hydrated. They weren't taking breaks. They were just getting really burnt out and frustrated. So they made this program called Refresh to encourage people to take a walk, to exercise, to drink water, all that stuff. But they were relying on air tables at first. And one of the biggest criticisms of the Lambda School, which they're actually acting on now, one of the biggest criticisms of the Lambda School used to be you had to fill out air tables every day, sometimes two a day, and then refresh comes along. And the way that they measure your success in the program is, guess what? Another air table. So everybody's burned out on air tables. They decided we need to do something different. So we made an app that is just a more fun and engaging way to do it. You just push a few buttons on your phone and you submit whether you achieved your health goals for today. And there's progress bars and like a point system to make it feel like it's more fun because they gamified the process instead of having it be a boring thing where you fill out a form. And our stakeholder was the person who started that entire program. And she worked with this through all of it from the design process to the get the game mechanics, you know, what points we want to measure and how we want to measure them and all of that good stuff. So if she wasn't involved, I feel like it would have been easier to just get distracted on, you know, programs and uh, functionality that didn't really need to be there. She kept us really concentrated on the goal, which was help Lambda school students avoid burnout. If it doesn't do that, just don't worry about it. So. Yeah, I mean, I went to I went to Outco, which was a interviewing school, and there I also had to fill in like a lot of air tables. Like, okay, you got to finish this coding problem, and like for this day, and you need to fill out this air table. You need to uh, input at least like twenty five uh, resume submissions to like different companies or like do recruiter outreach to at least this many people. And it was all tracked on Airtable. So, you know, I was also pretty much stuck in Airtable for, like, the entire <laughs> time I was job searching, plus, like, interviewing as well. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to speak to you about what your process was like from after graduating from Lambda School and how, like, I believe there are recruiter outreach people or outreach people or partnership people at Lambda School that help you with your job search. I was wondering what your job search strategy was like uh, in order to find the role that you were looking for. Well, they do have, uh, they have a match program where you, you have a Lambda School student profile, right? And on your student profile, you put all your skills that you think you're the strongest at. And if there's any industries that you have experience working in, you include that too, in my case. I've been involved with a lot of industries. I've done banking, I've done health and fitness, I've done media and publishing content online. So you put out all your industries and all your biggest skill sets, uh, and then they will match you with opportunities that just look like a perfect match. Now, I don't depend on that very much because the majority of students, they find a job, or if they choose the freelance, they usually find clients through their own efforts more effectively than depending on the support systems Lambda School has. But the support systems are good. They have a mentorship program and I met with my mentor every week for a while. And he helped me, you know, figure out which path I thought was best. For example, I found that due to my sales and marketing and business background, I found that engineering roles well i'm interested in some of them depending on the company but most of the time i feel like i'd be better off in a position such as like sales engineer or uh, a higher level support role right now i'm in the interview process for a startup called sauce labs and sauce labs they they automate the testing process and testing is the absolute hardest part of development in my opinion so i can easily get behind their mission because i can tell you 
on the Lambda School assignments that involved testing, those are the ones that I was most frustrated with and I probably did the worst at. So I can see <laughs> the need for automating that process. And it's a support engineer role at Sauce Labs, but, but you have to have a strong understanding of JavaScript and React and Node and even some software I've never seen in my life, but they have a training program to get you into it. So I don't feel like every support role is good. Some support roles are nothing more than basically it's like a it's like an IT guy. My computer's not my internet's not working. Have you tried turning it off and back on? Like that wouldn't be good. But I feel like higher level support engineer roles would be interesting because you're basically a debugger in chief and you look at this code and you figure out why it's not working. And that that in itself has taught me more about development and programming and anything else because debugging again that's a that's like a daily struggle and if you get really 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 good at debugging then you also get really good at the rest of it uh so now my job search strategy overall i'll tell you how i got to this point where i'm in an interview process there's a few more that i won't mention because that that's the one i'm most excited about right now but so my my plan initially was to relocate. I researched the best places to live based on income potential, cost of living, quality of life index, and the index words index. That's funny. <laughs> and other relevant statistics. Uh, then I sent hundreds of LinkedIn requests out. I connected with fellow Lambda students. I connected with fellow web developers who live in some big cities like Charlotte and Raleigh and the Washington DC area, because that's where it looked like the balance between cost of living and income potential looked like it would be the best net positive. So I asked how I asked people how they felt about the area because I, I, I didn't want to just depend on numbers. Numbers numbers feel robotic to me. I wanted actual human beings to say this is how I feel about this area and this is why. So I kind of combined numbers with outreach and use that to determine where is the best fit. But <laughs> problem with that, uh, I didn't see COVID-19 coming. COVID-19 is a wrecking ball. I also didn't see uh, certain, there's a lot of dissent in this country. I feel like a lot of the dissent is, you know, good and has a has a strong reason behind it but the outcome of that has been that there's it just doesn't feel safe to me right now because we've got COVID-19 we've got riots in some places we've got layoffs we've got businesses shutting down uh and then the more I think about all that stuff the more I believe it's the worst time in American history to move so all of that really like literally started the day that I got endorsed by Lambda. That's their version of graduation. You get endorsed. Uh, so <laughs> after reflecting about all of that, I changed my job search strategy completely and chose to focus on remote roles only. You could say my job search strategy is basically in a constant state of evolution. And I'm also limiting applications to tech startups like Sauce Labs because I've worked in big slow corporations and it drove me crazy because you can't move fast. There's a lot of constricting red tape. You've got to go through meeting after meeting after meeting and you've got to ask your manager who has another manager who has another manager uh, and then that's to go all the way back down to you before you can even do something minor to change a policy or process or the project you're working on. And I don't think anything stifles creativity and progress more than a complicated approval process. So that's why I'm very much interested in startups rather than corporations. And that leads right into, so I already mentioned support engineer. That's one of the roles I'm looking at. But another one that really grabs my attention is sales engineer sales engineers they give demonstrations designed to sell software and then they help the company set it up so 
while you're not coding, if you don't understand the software on a deep level, and if you don't understand exactly how it was built on enough of a deep technical level to explain it to people who are engineers, who are developers, then you can't do a job effectively. And I feel like that would be an ideal role for me because it's the perfect intersection between development and sales and marketing. And also based on the salaries I've seen, seen it looks like income potential is the highest in that realm. So I'm heavily leaning in that direction. Some others I'm looking at are growth hacking. I'm very good at growing projects from nothing to something big pretty fast. I'm also looking at technical writing because that's another one where you've got to, if you don't understand the technology, then you can't write about it very well in a way that the technical type of person would be able to use it. Uh, so yeah, my my diverse background, background, I think it's a blessing because I can position myself as an expert in many different areas of the technology process. And that's making it easier for me to hit my job application goal, which is about 20 to 30 a week. And I've kept that up for a good while. And as I go, I adjust my resumes and I adjust my cover letter templates. There's five cover letter templates, actually, because of all these different roles I'm looking at. And every time I adjust it, it seems like the application to interview ratio goes up. I see. Oh, that's... I, I think that the Sauce Labs is a mobile testing company, I think. Like, they test stuff on the cloud. And I, I've been to their office in San Francisco for, like, like one of these tech talks back before COVID started. But... Oh, well. Yeah, it, it was it, it was pretty interesting uh, what they do. Um, I think that the sales engineer and, like, developer support engineer type roles are, like, really, really important type of roles that companies like them could have. Because at, at my day job, actually, we actually use Sauce Labs to test, to do, like, automating automated testing for our mobile apps. So, yeah, I mean, for me, like, sometimes I have to hop on a call with, like, a technical account manager or a sales engineer and actually, like, see, oh, okay, is this, um, is this third-party integration something that might be useful for the company? How do we implement it into our app? And essentially... The sales engineer drives the entire process and is like, oh, okay, this is the implementation of how you should integrate, I don't know, like Sauce Labs uh, testing code into your platform. And they basically guide you through the entire process of like integrating stuff. So I, and for me, it was like working with, with those kinds of people have been really, really helpful because it kind of sped up some of the process in developing things. Like I wouldn't have to read through a lot of doc documentation mainly because i had like a technical account manager or a sales engineer actually guide me through the entire process so it's it's been really really enjoyable to work with these kinds of people and i think that these kinds of people are really like the it's almost like they're building relationships with other engineers outside of the company and those engineers are actually the customers of the sales engineer so yeah, I mean, it, it's a really interesting role that people these people are in. Um, as for the your your resumes plus cover letters, um, how many resumes are you sending out like per month or so far? Actually, I've actually been lazy about it the last week because the last week I've been busy with interviews that are already in process that have technical tests and. In the case of Soft Labs, there was a writing test because your your communication skills are just as, if not more important than your code skills because if you can't communicate in a way that helps somebody solve their problem, well, you're not going to have that job for very long. <laughs> but anyway, before this week, and I started getting deeper into interview processes, before that, I was hitting about 30, 30 applications a week. So uh, that would be the way I'm getting that number is I'm applying for, yeah, sales engineer, growth hacking, content 
marketing even or community management. Uh, and those last two are in tech companies. So again, it's the same thing. You've got to be able to understand the code and communicate the the technology concepts or it's just not going to work. If I was only applying for developer and engineer roles, that would be a lot harder. I'm probably only getting 10 a week. So I'm glad I've got this background because I feel like success is really just a math equation. So if you send out 30 resumes a week versus three a week, I feel like you're going to get there 10 times faster. So. So what is your, do you know off the top of your head what your conversion is into a phone interview? So for example, if you send out like a hundred resumes, uh, what percentage of those uh, resumes convert into like phone screenings? Uh, when I started, <laughs> when I started, the rate was zero. And the reason it was zero at the, at the start is because I had one resume instead of five different templates for all these different roles. I was doing the same one. And after a week or two of that, I just sat down and thought about it and kind of kicked myself. I was like, well, that was dumb because no wonder you've got to tailor it to fit the exact language they use in the job description uh, or you just won't get through that screening process. And after, after I tailored it to fit all the different roles, I would say it's been about three out of 30. Uh, so... I don't know, three out of thirty. Like what 10%. is that? One out of ten. About ten percent. I would say five to ten percent to give it a range, but I think it's about ten. I see. Um, that's really interesting. So from there, uh, so you got like about ten um, phone screenings. How many? How many of those convert into um, like the coding challenge part, or like the communication or the technical challenge part? Uh, I would say one out of three for those. I see. So yeah, I'd say it, it, it's ten, one out of ten to get to the initial screen, and then one out of three to get to the next step. And I've not, when I get to the next step, it just could change very much because I mean, this is this is still kind of new. I've not, I've not got kicked out of the next step yet. So fingers crossed, this will work. So hopefully, it becomes <laughs> one in ten. To one in three, mm -hmm. then a hundred percent, because you're just gonna get yeah. the next roll anyway, right? Um, that would be good. That'd be great. <laughs> for me, uh, I guess what my process was like, I um, when I look at my Airtable, right, that I was filling out that all my job applications and everything, I was really meticulous about this because I actually wanted to see what my statistics were. Um, I sent out six hundred job applications which converted into 40 phone screenings, which converted into like 20 code challenges. From 20 code challenges, it converted to like five on-sites. And from five on-sites, it converted into one offer. So, wow. so for <laughs> me, it was a one in 600 chance of me getting an offer. So I would have to send another 600 applications to get another offer. So I just I just took the offer from the get go, and I was like, you know what? I'm so tired of this entire process. And it took me about like five months to send out like those 600 applications once I graduated from from college. So yeah, it's really really grueling. Um, I, I could see how like, and I I think that COVID like really really intensified this mainly because like jobs are going remote, people are being laid off. And I think it's sh slowly shifting, or actually gradually shifting towards like a, like a employer, like an employer market where the employers have more of the leverage to decide. Okay, what should we get this guy or not? Right. So yeah, I mean, you, you're you're not competing with your hometown or wherever you want to relocate to anymore. You're competing with the entire country at a minimum. Or if they accept applications from other countries, you're you're competing with the entire world. So that's a that's a that's a tough situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, things are really really changing now uh, with COVID and everything. I think it's affected a lot of people, like in big ways and in in small ways. I know that some friends that I went to interviewing school with, um, they actually got laid off, like literally. I think five months in 
after they like got the job, they got laid off, and I was like, oh, that sucks, mm -hmm. dude. So that that's exact that's exactly why I killed the idea of relocating. I've heard too many stories exactly like that. And see, I, I'm a hometown kid. I've stayed at the same city for just about all of my life because certain family members and stuff have some health issues that creep up and I want to stay in till all of that's taken care of. All of that's good right now. But again, like, you know, the idea of moving to say DC or Charlotte or uh, I was also looking at Utah and Salt Lake City. The idea of moving somewhere like that, where the cost of living is so high, and then having the company, you know, say, oh, the COVID economy, it's dragging out, this recession's dragging out longer than we thought it would. We're going to have to lay you off. That would be, that would be terrifying to me to go through this process of moving somewhere new and then that coming up. So I just said, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so... Um, I wanted to shift the discussion towards um, your freelancing and some of your side projects that you've been doing. So, how did you? So, when did you start focusing on those projects, or more than like? Do you focus it on job searching and freelancing equally, or did you build them up side by side as soon as you graduated from Lambda School? What was your process in that? Oh, uh, working freelancing or in an agency has always been in the back of my head. I just think the timing has to be right. And I tend to trust my intuition on when to, when to launch or pivot in that direction. Cause I'm a big believer in diversifying your assets. Yes. I want a great job with a tech startup. Hopefully soft labs, if they're here in this, they should be like, Oh, great. Definitely hire that guy. But anyway, I don't know how long the job hunt will take. So I'm spreading my risk by providing a new freelance service. In the meanwhile, I don't know which strategy will be most effective. Freelancing for clients, working for a tech startup. All I care about is the end game and the final outcome because two paths can lead to the same destination. Uh, and no matter which path is successful in my case, I'll end up doing the same thing, which is to funnel savings into the creation of several projects with passive income streams attached. The one I'm most excited about is a mental health memoir called Madness and Me. I'm not going to explain that title right now because that's way beyond the point, but it covers a dark phase in my life. Uh, I was plagued by depression and suicidal thoughts. It was very nasty. And it was so bad that I couldn't really find the motivation to get out of bed for a while. And dogs, shelter dogs specifically, are what saved me from that bad place. Uh, I volunteer at the nearest animal shelter, and I pick up shelter dogs and take them for a walk. Seeing their enthusiasm always rubs off on me and lifts my spirits. This is exactly how I ended up making a pet adoption website. Uh, all a dog needs to be happy is food and play and exercise and their mindset kind of rubbed off on me. And I don't think it's coincidence, but that's when that's the same time I realized, Oh, I should level up my skill set. I should learn how to code. It was almost exactly the same time as that happened. And uh, I already covered the internet architect service I provide, but I'll get a little bit deeper into it. So the internet architect, they would build digital real estate that attracts and converts clients at scale while you're asleep. And this is accomplished with a combination of a solid SEO strategy, responsive web design, persuasive content, and online outreach. I just don't think building a website is good enough anymore. And neither is starting a Facebook page or a Twitter Every competitor on earth has a Facebook and a website just about, so it's nothing special. And to stand out, I feel like you've got to reach a higher level. And appropriately, I call my premium offer client attraction tower. Uh, if you turn it into an acronym, it spells out CAT. That was very much on purpose. I was like, okay, how do I, how do I hook CATs into this? I'm obsessed with shelter dogs and cats. It's just my thing. But anyway, client attraction tower. Uh, architects build skyscrapers, right? So an internet architect builds the online equivalent of a skyscraper. 
it's designed in such a way that people will definitely, definitely notice it, especially when you engage with your prospects directly, uh, like I do on Facebook to funnel traffic to my website. I've used the same strategy for fitness blogs. I've used the same strategy for task ghost writing clients who ran websites in automotive or public speaking or just a lot of different realms. I feel like the same strategy always seems to work. So that's why I very much intentionally built that into my web service. So what are you driving in terms of your like unique selling proposition? Is this mainly like the like internet architects are better than web designers? Um, is there any specific services? Um, uh, could you go a little bit into like some of the services that you provide for like some of these people that might be interested? Sure. Uh, the way it would work, I I use Webflow to build most websites. So I give them two options. Option A is Webflow. Webflow makes sense if they want to uh, update the content in real time or if they want to write their own blogs and not hire me to do it. If they just want me to do the website and do the landing and about page, for example, uh, in that scenario, they'd probably want Webflow because if I'm not managing your blog at all times, then you're going to need something simple that you can learn quickly. But the other option is just pure hard-coded HTML, CSS, maybe JavaScript. I don't usually need JavaScript for most websites. But in that scenario, uh, the design can be a little bit more custom. There's a lot more flexibility. We don't have to start with a template necessarily, which is usually the case with Webflow. Webflow, you can also start from scratch, but I just feel it usually looks better if you start with a template versus with HTML and CSS, you can really just start from a pure blank slate. And then the trade-off there though, the trade-off is if you go with HTML and CSS, most clients aren't going to want to learn how to code that themselves. Uh, you HTML to me isn't just formatting the text to make it look bigger or smaller, you know, bold it or italicize it or whatever. Most people think text formatting when they hear HTML. But if you want to do HTML well, you also need to add meta tags. And the meta tags that are really important are the ones that specify what shows on Google if somebody searches for, say it's a, let's say it's a dog walker. Somebody searches for dog walker in Kingsport, Tennessee, where I live. Uh, if you don't know how to do the meta tags, then the Google results probably not going to look very good to browsers and they're probably not going to click it. And if you don't know how to structure the SEO target keywords in a certain way, people also probably aren't going to find it. So uh, with HTML and CSS, the I, I do SEO with Webflow as well, but it's it's another thing where it's it's just a lot easier with Webflow. It's already there. You just type a word and there you go, you're done. But HTML and CSS, it's a lot more of a process. And so if somebody hard code chooses the hard coded route, that would typically involve I call it a sustainability fee or a sustainability retainer, because I don't just build it and say, here you go. I help you sustain the website and help you grow it and help you sharpen the SEO and the content marketing strategy and just the copy in general as you go. Because I feel testing is very important. I tend to avoid working with people who expect you to just build a website and then, oh, a miracle is going to happen overnight. No, it's not. No, it's not. No matter how good you are at code, no matter how good you are at content marketing or search engine optimization, that you've got to test. You've got to you've got to test it and measure results on places like Google Analytics. This is another thing I help people set up Google Analytics. You've got to measure your traffic. You've got to measure your social sharing. I usually measure that with Facebook for developers because I just find it much easier and faster to get traffic on Facebook and Twitter. I don't know why. 
it just seems easier to me. And it always has been for the last 10 years I've been doing this. Facebook just seems like easy mode compared to Twitter. But uh, so I measure social engagement with a program called Facebook for Developers. So this is the kind of thing that I do for clients. Uh, and I would highly, 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 highly encourage both of them to at least work together for say, you know, two or three months because you can learn a lot in a month, but I just don't feel like that's enough time to optimize everything into the best shape it could possibly be in. And I don't even think that's really enough time to get enough data and analytics and measurements to really feel confident about, you know, creating a longer term vision for how you're going to create content and how you're going to promote it on social media and how you're going to reach clients, you know, far off in the future. I feel like you need at least two or three months to do it. So I'd say that's actually the biggest difference between me and a normal web web designer. I've worked with web designers myself. And when I worked with web designers before I learned all this stuff, they literally sat down with me and they would just, uh, you know, set up the WordPress They'd set up the hosting and they'd set up a username and password to log in to the dashboard and stuff. And then they would say, well, here you go. That's it. It was done in like a day. So compare that to a few months of actually very intentionally measuring analytics and then optimizing your approach based on what the data tells you. That's that's the difference. That's awesome. We're about to reach time here. And lastly, do you have any advice for job seekers or freelancers that you want to give out? Oh, yeah. This is some advice I wish I heard a long time ago. But uh, don't be discouraged when you see people who sound like geniuses on social media. Or maybe if you're a Lambda student, for example, maybe if you see people that sound like coding brainiacs on Slack. Uh, what you see is a highlight reel. Not everybody was just born that way. Nobody, nobody was just born that way. Maybe like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, people like that. But everybody else, we're we're just average human beings, and most people don't reveal the struggles they faced before they got big. And I can tell you with certainty that nine out of ten people will not admit how many times they guessed or how many times they called a lucky break. So. I would say only compare yourself with the person you were yesterday. And as long as you beat that guy or gal every single day, you'll be fine. I treat life like a science experiment. Uh, I highly recommend that mindset to anybody else. Because if you kind of view your life with a sense of detachment, and if you view it as if it's an experiment that you can adjust at any time to, you know, make the experiment more successful, then I feel like that's just a much more effective way to see life. And I feel like it's also a lot less stressful because you don't get as attached to, you know, a bad day or uh, losing a client or whatever the case may be. You don't get attached to that if you see it as an experiment that you can tweak and modify it just as you go. That's awesome. This is a good way to end the show. And I think that what you shared today is really, really interesting in terms of your, I think that you have a really, really diverse skill set that like leans well into like all these other different kinds of jobs and freelancing. And I, I wish you the best of luck. Where could people find you um, if they want to learn more about uh, what you do or where, the, where could they find you online? Uh, first, I would say if you actually want to follow me and my thoughts uh my twitter handle is web wallen w-e-b-w-a-l-l-e-n i also have a website daniel wallen.dev and that kind of if you want to get deeper into what i call internet architect i kind of think that's pretty a pretty new thing i'm not the first person to use it to use that word but i think i'm the first one to define it in this way uh, DanielWallen.dev gets deeper into that. And I have to plug the shelter dogs and cats because the working at the animal shelter was really transformative. And I feel like that has oddly, but 
uh, indirectly kind of influenced a whole lot of other things like the creation of this service. And that website is www.trypets.org and it's T-R-I-P-E-T-S.org. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Daniel, for uh, coming on the show and sharing your experience. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed today's podcast with Daniel Wallen, a freelance internet architect who also shared his previous job search experience. Thanks, Daniel, for being such an amazing guest and even sharing with us your insights in job searching. I think what surprised me the most was how, after he graduated from Lambda School, he zeroed in on specific roles that would lend well to his previous experiences working at a marketing agency. For me, what was most interesting was how he continues to work at both his freelance consulting gigs alongside his search. What was really eye-opening for me, though, was how we share the same sentiments about how leverage now leans into the side of the employer, since now some job seekers are competing with the entire US market and the larger global tech scene, since some companies are now open to hiring remotely. Again, given all these insights, thank you again, Daniel, so much for being such an informative guest on the show. Also, for us to bridge our listeners to the guests that we have on the show, you can connect with our online community on circle.so called the Martian Community. That's martian.circle.so. Get the chance to widen your personal network, connect with your guest speakers, and interact with others who share the same passions and interests like you. Again, that's the Martian community on circle.so. Martian.circle.so. Again, that's Martian.circle.so. Thank you guys so much for listening and have an awesome day. <laughs>